Sing South Point. I'm excited to be here with you all on uh, what we're calling one of our first Global Emphasis Sundays. Uh, and the purpose of a Global Emphasis Sunday is simply that our goal for 2024 is that we become a globally aware and compassionate people and we become aware of what God is doing outside of our walls and all over the world. Uh, my name's Caleb. I'm a part of the team here at South Point, And for the last seven months, my wife Lauren and I have been preparing to be missionaries to the country of Japan with an organization called Mustard Seed Network. And if, I'm, if I can be really honest with you, I've never wanted to be a missionary. <laughs> I've never even wanted to leave the country. Uh, I was one of those people that just like wanted to be here, never wanted to do anything else because why would you ever want to leave the States, right? Uh, because also, because I don't know if you've met any missionaries, but missionaries are really weird. <laughs> They're very socially awkward. And I already had the odds stacked against me because I was homeschooled. And so a homeschooled missionary is a horrible cocktail of social awkwardness. So I, I really did not want to be a missionary. But about over the last year or so, I've learned a lot about God's heart for the world and what it means to be a part of his mission. And that's changed my mind about what I think about the world. And so it becomes especially evident as you flip through the pages of scripture and read about how God's mission has always been to have all people be reconciled to him through the gospel. That's the main thrust of God's mission throughout scripture. And, and when I'm talking about all people, I mean that God's heart is for all people, from our friends and our family here in Rhode Island, to the prisoner, to our neighbors, to the people who live in the, the slums of the Mathari Valley in Kenya, all the way to the millions of people who walk through Shibuya, Tokyo every single day. God wants all people to be reconciled to him through the gospel. This is God's mission. And if it's God's mission, then it also should be our mission too. And as we try to partner with God in his mission, I think sometimes, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we kind of think about the world as if it's a pancake. There it is. And we believe that if we pour the syrup, which is the gospel because it's the sweet and good stuff, if we pour the syrup into the center of the pancake enough, if we keep pouring into our friends and into our family, that maybe, just maybe, the gospel will drip down from our friends and family into our community, and then maybe it'll drip out of our community into our city, and then out of our city into our state, and then out of our state into our region, out of our region into the country, and from our country into the world. And from just reaching our friends and family, we've accidentally reached the whole world with the gospel. I wish that's how it worked, but it's not. Please keep reaching, keep reaching out to your friends and family, keep pouring in to the people who are around you, but if we want to partner with God in his mission, we're not going to reach the world by accident. Instead, we have to view the world as an arguably better breakfast item. A waffle. <laughs> if you want to cover a waffle in syrup, you can keep pouring the syrup into the same squares all you want. But if you keep pouring into the same squares, you're just going to have a soggy corner of one waffle. But instead, the best way to saturate a, a waffle with syrup and to fill it with syrup is to intentionally and strategically place syrup in each vessel in the waffle until it's completely full. And I think you get where I'm going with this. If we want to fill the world with the gospel, if we want everyone to know God's unconditional love, everyone to be filled with and saturated by the gospel, we have to intentionally place people and organizations strategically in different cultures to fill them with 
God's mission. But the problem is that we, the church, the global capital C church that we are a part of, we haven't completed this task. We haven't reached the goal. In fact, there are still billions, that's with a B, billions of people in the world who have never heard the gospel. In Japan alone, there are over 100 million people who have never heard of Jesus. And because of, of this reality that we as Christians have failed to reach the world, this guy named Ralph Winter, who's a scholar of missions, writes this quote. He says, my concern is not with closed doors, and by closed doors he means countries or places where the Christians aren't legally allowed. He means my concern is with the doors that are open, talking about literally the rest of the world, which we do not enter. Our responsibility as Christians is the many doors that are standing wide open, which we are not entering. We are a disobedient people. We argue about the definitions of worldwide evangelism. We debate the details of the end times, yet we neglect the command of the word of God to evangelize the world. Now let me clarify, my goal this morning is not to shame or guilt anybody in this room into like, feeling like they have to say, yes, I want to go be a missionary. That's not the point. The point is simply just to make us globally aware and compassionate people who are concerned with the salvation of everyone. And that's actually how I want to spend the rest of our time uh, this morning, is to just to look at the ministry of Jesus as it begins in the book of Matthew and show how being globally aware and compassionate and concerned for the salvation of all people is marked in Jesus' ministry. And when we, we look at his ministry, we're going to see three key methods of his mission. His why, his what, and his how. The why he does what he does, what he says when he reaches the people he's trying to reach, and how he plans for his mission to continue. So if you have your Bibles with you or your Matthew journals, I believe that's Matthew journal page 20 for our text today. Uh, it's going to be Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through 22 that we're going to be reading. And we're going to start with uh, verses 12 through 16 to talk about the why of Jesus' ministry. It says this, it says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So in verse 12, oh, I'm sorry, I, I believe another slide. So the why of Jesus' ministry or his mission is to reach people. In, uh, in verse 12, we're introduced or reintroduced to this guy named John who we've been talking about for a little while. We call him John the Baptizer because that's what he did is he baptized people. And, and John has been arrested by uh, this puppet king named Herod. And seemingly because of this, Jesus withdraws to this region called Galilee. Now, so far in the book of Matthew, we've been in this area called Judea, which is uh, where Jerusalem is and where a lot of the Jewish people live. And then north of that is Galilee. And so Jesus goes north up this region of Galilee to uh, this place called Capernaum. And if we read these few verses too quickly, we kind of miss an insight into Jesus' mission. We just finished a How to Read the Bible class, and we talked about how you have to read the details closely. And so, actually, if you flip back in your, in your Bible or in your Matthew journal, a page at the beginning of chapter 3, 
you can see that there's a count at the beginning of John, the Baptist or baptizer's ministry. There we go. Um, And now we have Jesus' ministry beginning. And if you look at these two accounts, you actually see there's a lot of similarities between the beginning of each other's ministries. And and so you're reading chapter 4, and I believe that we're supposed to be thinking about Jesus, that he is going to pick up exactly where John the baptizer left off. That's why John's rested and Jesus begins his ministry. And that would make a lot of sense. But actually, if you read the two accounts and you pay attention to the details, you notice that there's one distinct difference between John's ministry and Jesus' ministry. And the key detail is where they choose to do their ministries. A a few weeks ago, maybe four or five weeks ago, we talked about uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, maybe, and how John's ministry was in the wilderness. He was outside of the city, outside where people lived, and, and there were records and reports that suggested that thousands and thousands of people were coming out to John to go see him, to hear his message, and to be baptized. If John existed today, he would be the most successful preacher probably ever. And so we're really impressed that John just attracts these thousands and thousands of people. But there are other records and reports that suggest that the region of Galilee, where Jesus does his ministry, houses two to three million people. And so I think that the implication of what Matthew is trying to say in these first few verses is, yes, John was successful, and he attracted thousands and thousands of people to come and see him, but Jesus is even more successful because he's going to go, he's going to reach people where they are by the millions instead of the thousands. And I think this is why Matthew brings up the Isaiah quote from a prophet who lived a few hundred years before the time of Jesus, that he would go to Galilee, this place where the Jewish people, uh, not as many Jewish people live, but actually these people from all these other cultures and regions lived. And he said, on them, light would be shown, that light is Jesus, and they would be uh, a light in the shadow of death. Now, uh, living in the shadow of death, that phrase, the connotation behind that in the, the Greek, the original language the Bible was written in, is not that these people who live in this region are living there because they want to, but they're actually living there because they're stuck there. They, they have no way out from death. They have no way to, to shine light on themselves, but they actually have to be liberated from their current position. So I think what Matthew is trying to say in quoting Isaiah is not only that Jesus is in fact the Messiah that John preached in chapter 3, not only that Jesus' ministry would be greater than that of John's, but actually he's saying that Jesus is the hope for the nations. We, we see from the moment of Jesus' ministry that, that he wants to go to where people are to reach them without attracting them to him, but actually going to them, and that he actually wants to save them from their position because he is the hope for the nations. Jesus will save the Jew, but he's also going to save the Gentile. He's going to save the Japanese and the Kenyan and the Uzbekistani and the Bayesian and the Indonesian and the Brazilian and the Portuguese and the Italian. Jesus is going to save everybody. He's going to be the light that shines in the darkness, and he's going to be the liberator of those who are stuck in the shadow of death. So that's the first part, the first mission of Jesus' ministry is to reach people. The second part of his mission is the what, and his mission is to proclaim news that's good. This comes from uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, and it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And I think that we would imagine that when 
uh, the Son of God was incarnate and came to earth, that he would come with with this complex message and and these checks and these balances that you have to kind of work your way through to be able to experience heaven. But that's actually not what happens. But, But instead, Jesus comes to Galilee to these millions of people, and his message or his mission is actually fairly simple. It's first of all to proclaim. The, the word preach that uh, is there in the text, uh, the word behind it is the word proclaim. And the connotation of proclaim is not just that Jesus has this formal sermon ready for the Sunday synagogue and he's going to talk for 30 minutes in front of all these Jewish people. Uh, the connotation of it is not that Jesus is going to go into the cities and do um, these humanitarian charades where he's going to heal people but not exactly tell them why he's doing it, but hope that they ask a question so maybe he has a chance to share a message with them. That that's not really Jesus' mission. His mission is to proclaim, meaning that he regularly and often spoke about this news that's good. He didn't wait for an invitation to speak. He didn't wait for a Sunday morning, but he talked about it regularly and often because you can't communicate a message if you don't say it. The second thing he does is he brings news. The, the news is that all people have to repent. And this is news because as soon as we hear this, we immediately start trying to justify ourselves and be like, but wait, I'm a good person though. Like, I pay my taxes, I tip well, I hold the door open, I say thank you. I only do bad stuff sometimes, but surely the good stuff weighs out the bad stuff, right? Isn't that good enough? And the answer is no, it's not good enough. In fact, no one is good enough and nothing you do will be good enough because there's no credentials you can have or goodness you can create within yourself to be a part of this kingdom. And that is a problem for us, but, but the answer is what makes the news good, is that God's kingdom is here. It's through Jesus that we don't have to have our own credentials, but when he completes his work on the cross and dies and resurrects and ascends to heaven, we have his credentials for us, and that brings us into the kingdom for those who put our faith in him. But I don't want us to be confused because I think sometimes when we talk about the kingdom of heaven or God's kingdom, we kind of imagine it as uh, this alternate universe, this different realm, like uh, uh, the upside down in Stranger Things. You know, it's like maybe you can get glimpses of it at like one at a time, but you're not going to see the full picture. But actually, in the preaching of Jesus, he doesn't seem to believe that God's kingdom is a different realm, but he rather seems to believe that God's kingdom is a new reality. So, so when those who put their faith in Jesus uh, repent and, and listen to this good news, God's reality begins to pour into our world. As you, you flip through the pages of Matthew and the, the other biographies of Jesus, you actually see that uh, Satan, who is the opposer or the deceiver who we've been talking about for the last three weeks who uh, tempted Jesus in the wilderness, has actually been building his own kingdom on earth. And in the, the pages of Matthew and the other biographies of Jesus, you also see that Jesus, uh, Satan has been building his kingdom on earth everywhere. And in the Bible, you, you see that Satan's kingdom's desire is to have people be blind and people be deaf and people be paralyzed, unable to get out of those realities. I think sometimes we get confused and think that God just allows bad things to happen, but I actually think it's Satan's kingdom that's working to make those bad things happen. And so when Jesus comes to establish God's kingdom, he even tells John in Matthew chapter 11, he says, I came to make the blind see, to make the deaf hear, make the paralyzed walk again and to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. He's here to bring a new reality with him. 
And, and so I think Satan's kingdom is even still working today in opposition to God's kingdom. I think we see it through men and women and children having to go through human trafficking. I think we see it in people in third world countries dying from presentable diseases because they, did I say presentable? Preventable diseases. <laughs> because they don't have access to common medicines. I think we see it in, in the lack of food distribution so that people die of starvation. I think Satan's kingdom is working to keep people in darkness, but then Jesus shows up and he brings this new message with him that carries a new reality. And now we today carry this reality with us as well. And so, I don't know if you know this, but it was actually Christians who created the first hospitals because they saw that the sick and the dying needed help and needed, needed somewhere to go. And so Christians like, you know what? We can push back against Satan's kingdom by creating these areas where people can go. Uh, Christians created Sunday school, which I guess is no surprise, but the reason that Christians created Sunday school is because children were working in factories and mines throughout the week, and they weren't getting education. And so these Sunday schools were created so children would be, would be taught how to read and how to write while they were still able to work, because we had to push back against Satan's kingdom where children weren't getting the proper education they needed. Uh, and it's Christians who do the most important work in the whole world, which is spread the gospel all across the globe. So that people who are living in the shadow of death and who are stuck in, in darkness are actually given a chance to hear about the light that can bring them a new reality. And the more and more that we bring these spiritual and social and physical and psychological and economical and medicinal changes to the world, we carry with us this good news that God's kingdom is here. And with this good news we carry with us, we push back against the dominion of Satan over the world and say, you have no power here anymore. But actually, Jesus has the power, and he is going to be the light to everyone. And so if this is the news that we have to repent because God's kingdom is here, this is good news. Because it's not only a spiritual and eternal change, but it's a physical and real one as well. And it's not just good news, though. This is life-changing news. But I don't think this is just life-changing news. I think this is world-changing news. And when Jesus comes with this world-changing news, I think we're supposed to ask the question, how? How does Jesus plan to carry this world-changing news to everybody? And the answer is that Jesus invites us into his mission. We get this from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus said, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Another translation would say, I would make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat, and their father Zebedee preparing their nets, with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat, and their father, and followed him. So when Jesus walks over to these, these two sets of brothers, these four guys, and he says the words, come follow me, what he's doing is he's inviting them into this uh, relationship where they will be his disciples. And we don't have this context in our own culture, so basically what it means to be a disciple is that you follow your rabbi or your teacher, and you work to take on their yoke, which is their set of teachings, or in other words, their mission. And so when Jesus invites these four to come and to take on his yoke, he's inviting them into his mission to first of all reach people 
and to proclaim world-changing news. And I don't really want us to be confused about these four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, because I think that maybe sometimes we read the Bible, we kind of think that people in the Bible had nothing better to do, so of course they followed Jesus. But actually, fishing in Galilee was a very stable job. It was a great job. And so they, they would have made decent money, they would have had decent living, they would have done just fine for themselves. But, so, when we are asking the question, I mean, they would have been regular people, like, let's not, don't get me wrong here, like, they're still ordinary guys, but they have money at least, right? So, when Jesus asks, we're asking the question about Jesus, like, hey, who are you going to bring into this mission? Like, how are you going to carry this message into the whole world? Jesus walks over to this, uh, this group of ordinary people who have these stable jobs, and he says, I want you. And you're like, okay, Jesus, calm down. But then they say yes. You're like, okay, hold on, wait a second. Like, Jesus, you can have anybody in any time, in any place in history to carry the most important message in the entire world, and you choose these guys, these guys who don't have the right education, who probably didn't even finish their education, these guys who don't have any previous context in ministry or public speaking, these guys who didn't even get your fishing pun. These are the guys that you want to carry the message as Jesus gives an emphatic yes. So I, I think as the readers, as we finish this section, we're supposed to sit in shock and awe that Jesus the Messiah, the, the one who brought this world-changing news, the one that inaugurated the kingdom of God that brings a new reality that pushes against the dominion of Satan, this Jesus invites ordinary people with stable jobs to be a part of his mission. And these regular people live with him for three years, which is less than most people spend in college. And then after three years, Jesus is crucified by the Romans. And then there's like, wait, what are we supposed to do now? Like, we, we didn't finish our training. And actually, in the book of John, another biography of Jesus, you actually see that they go back to fishing for a little bit. And then they find out that Jesus is resurrected, and he comes, he comes back, and he witnesses to them. And, uh, and these are the final words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, hopping back over. He tells them, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what he means is that the kingdom is here in its fullness. It's, it's ready to go. It's ready to be carried to the whole world. But then he goes on and says, therefore go and make disciples. And by disciples, he means teach more people the yoke I've taught you. Bring them into the mission to reach people and to proclaim world-changing news. Of all nations, and by all nations, he means all nations, right, good job. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and again, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I think the disciples hear these words like, well, that's great, Jesus, but we don't have your power, and we don't have your authority. We're just people. We can, we can proclaim the news all we want, but we're not going to get any further than that. And then in the book of Acts, these are the last words that are said by Jesus before his ascension. He assures them, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so I'm sure that, that they were nervous, but actually Jesus invites his ordinary people and to do his ministry because his extraordinary spirit is going to be with them. And so there, there is no more excuses that they can make, and there are no more excuses that we can make. We, we can't say, but I, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. 
I don't have the right education. I don't have the right skill set. I don't even know how to share the gospel. I, I can't go because I have this house, or I can't go because I have this job. I don't know how to speak the language. I don't know how to adapt the culture. But it's whatever the excuse is, there is no more excuse. Because, because God's heart to reach the nations, to reach the world, is not about what you're unable to do. It's about what God is able to do through you if you're willing. In the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead, that gave the apostles the power to witness to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, the same spirit resides in us for those who put our faith in Jesus and are willing to repent. And if that's true, then it is our jobs to proclaim world-changing news to the entire world. So as we're closing today, uh, we're actually going to have two unique elements as we're finishing up. The first thing is right after I'm done, there's going to be a video that plays. Um, it's, it's a video about, or done by Mustard Seed, the organization we work for, the, the open door as the metaphor that Ralph Winter uses that my wife Lauren and I are going to be walking through. Uh, it's a video about this man named Yoshio and his uh, finding of witnesses in the city. And so I don't want anyone to like, think this is just like a commercial for Mustard Seed, because it's not. Um, but actually, the principles that are in this video apply to worldwide evangelism. So I, I hope that it's helpful. And then the second thing that is going to be unique about our closing, uh, by way of application and anyone being invited to take a practical step towards joining in God's mission, which I hope everyone is excited about, um, there's going to be a table in the back by Connection Point that just has uh, a few resources back there that just have like, lists of practical ways that we can get involved with God's mission in the world. It's, it's things as easy as watching a video on YouTube and things as difficult as living in a different country to be a part of an internship with a different organization. So you can choose whatever you want in between there, but those are the options. It will make it even better, though, is that there are people back there as well who uh, are globally minded, aware, compassionate, and concerned for the salvation of all people who would love to talk to you about God's heart for the world. And so I have one more thought, uh, and then we're going to be done and watch the video. So we find out from our text that Jesus is the proclaimer of hope for the kingdom of God. But he is not the only one. Jesus invites every single one of us to take part in his proclamation that the kingdom is here. And the question is, which one of us is going to walk through the door that's standing wide open? I hope it's all of us. <laughs>